by the light of the stars, I was hunting again for a mean old troll in a third level den. I'd been lucky so far, this was old school rules. I should have been cautious, should have used my tools. The path was leafy and the way was dim. The DM cracked a smile, but I ignored him. And then I fell into a spike pit. Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. It's the Dice Roll Zine episode, folks. Thanks to Steve Cook of Hogtown Games, I've got issues one and two here. I'm going to be asking Steve some questions about his inspiration and a little bit of talk about how Dice Roll Zine came to be. I'm also going to do a walkthrough so you, the listener, can get a better idea and appreciation for what is within the covers of this scene. Hi, Steve. Thanks for getting back to me. Yeah, I'm really uh, interested in the kind of story behind the zine, if you like, and more specifically, perhaps the the setting that you use for um, for these zines. You know, wh- where where is all this coming from? Is it your uh, home game uh, stuff like that? Really? So, I mean, could you could you talk about that at all? Hey, Colin, Steve here. The origin of Dice Roll Zine. Well, I started Dice Roll Zine in 2017. The first issue came out in the fall of 2017. And I started it basically because of my inability to maintain a blog in any consistent manner. (laughs) I started a blog, The Borderlands, uh, way back in 2008, 2009, when I kind of discovered the OSR. And uh, my creative process kind of comes in fits and spurts which isn't very conducive to blogging so after many years I kind of just gave I haven't given up on the blog but I kind of switched focus to the zine and uh, so now dice roll zine will contains all of my ideas and and material for my home game and all of that kind of stuff that I create for old school games part two Colin the Wastelands of Kreth, the kind of default setting that uh, appears in Dice Roll Zine. That is indeed my home campaign, my home weird, science-y, sword and sorcery fantasy campaign. Um, I've been running it since probably 2012, 2013, and um, everything that appears in Dice Roll Zine comes from my game table. And... Um, with the exception of maybe some random tables and a few odds and ends like that, which I create specifically for the zine. Pretty much everything that is in Dice Roll Zine has a background or is modified from the Wastelands of Kreth, which is my home weird sci-fi fantasy science mishmash kitchen sink <laughs> sword and sorcery campaign. So that's the origin of the Wastelands of Kreth in Dice Roll in issue one, Steve, talking about inspiration, I'm just wondering, is that purple mushroom in a hive of scum and villainy? <laughs> I, I suspect 
you know, your science fantasy setting? Are we getting a little bit of the Star Wars Moss Eisley cantina in there, perhaps? And if not, perhaps you could uh, elaborate and describe, you know, some of the, your sources of inspiration for the recent issues of the zine. Inspirations for stuff in Dice Roll Zine. Wow, okay. <laughs> That's a long list, Colin. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it narrow. Uh, the Purple Mushroom Inns, uh, certainly the Mos Eisley Spaceport Cantina, um, is an inspiration there. That bar is kind of, was kind of the uh, main sort of hangout for my campaign. It's a it's kind of a weird sci-fi bar in the middle of a LSD and Lovecraft horror soaked uh, fungoid forest. Um, as far as the campaign in general, uh, the sciency stuff was largely inspired by uh, Stargate the television series Stargate SG-1. The campaign um, was actually uh, Part 2! The Wastelands Cam of Kreth campaign was actually inspired by Stargate SG-1. Uh, the adventures themselves in that campaign were a series of dungeons for the most part. All connected by an intelligent Stargate, essentially. Um, a, a little bit of the Guardian of Forever there from Star Trek as well. Um, it this, this Stargate had its own personality and was an NPC in the campaign, and it was a way for the characters to transport to one dungeon to another. And these were all connected through time as well as through location. So it was a bit of a, an eclectic campaign, and, and if you, when you read Dice Roll Zine, you'll find little tidbits of this sprinkled throughout the adventure seeds and, and stuff like that in the, uh, in the zine itself. Hey Colin, part three, inspirations in Dice Roll Zine, which are really inspirations for my Wastelands of Kreth campaign setting, since everything draws from that for the zine. Um, Star Wars, Star Trek, SG-1, the science-y big ones, and as, as well as Dune, there's some there's stuff that has a little bit has appeared in Dice Roll Zine so far that's kind of Dune-inspired, but uh, there'll be more of that in future issues. And as far as the more sword and sorcery type stuff, um, it's, it's your more common stuff. Fawford and the Grey Mauser, uh, Conan, of course, um, swords and sandals type movies and um, things like that. Um, as far as our other RPG stuff, Dark Sun was a big inspiration in Wastelands of Krith. Um, I loved Dark Sun when it came out. So those are the those are the. Hope you enjoyed that little glimpse behind the curtain with Steve C. Caught out a couple of times by the anchor one minute time limit, but hopefully that didn't detract too much from your enjoyment let's get to the overviews dice roll zine issue one then we've got uh, perfect bound 38 pages it's your typical zine size with some nice black and white line art and some gray st grayscale stuff throughout the paper's good quality overall i enjoy the feel of it
The credited artists are Fred Daly, Stefan Poag, Brian Glad-Thomas and Del Tegler. Opening the zine, we get a contents page and moving straight from the contents page, we get a page called How to Resolve Anything That Comes Up. This is basically an upgrade to the typical old school BX type of reaction table, but expanded to cover different eventualities. The idea is you roll 2d6 and add a relevant attribute bonus at the GM's discretion. Let me read you one of the entries. So you roll a 6 to 8. That is cautious or uncertain. Make another offer, cheapskate. Think outside the box. Keep the negotiations going. Play to your strengths, etc. Roll again if the referee feels generous. And then there's a question to the referee. You had a beer lately. There you go. Offering the chance, perhaps, to persuade the referee with some good old-fashioned bribery. On a 9 to 11, you got friendly or good. Things go your way, your offer is accepted, or the NPC is willing to comply, discuss, or help you out. Otherwise, the NPC thinks you rock on toast, and quite possibly even likes your sexy smell and smarts, or thinks you might taste good later if hungry. Good going. So there you go, you're getting a little bit of the flavour. This is a quite kind of light-hearted puts me in mind of uh, of the tone of something like Black Pudding, which is another zine, if you're familiar with that. And, um, yeah, the table is nicely presented. It's the, the typical alternating grey and white background, easy to read, and, and fun, you know. It suits your rulings, not rules, play style. Or as Steve would say, this table means to quickly resolve any minor issues and avoid messing about with obscure situational rules you never recall and probably have to look up during play. On page three then, we move to the Barbarian optional BX character class. A savage and warlike human adventurer, the Barbarian conquers her goals and slays her enemies with raw strength and ferocity. Although girded by feral instincts, she sometimes finds the nuances of sophisticated cities and cultured manners beyond her ken. Feared and shunned in many lands, a barbarian must often earn her keep as a mercenary, sellsword, scout, corsair or reaver. No matter how she survives, she's a dangerous and deadly adversary. Following that description, you get into a barbarian class table, the details of prime requisite, hit dice, saving throws, all the usual stuff, allowed armour, etc. And then following that, you've got some abilities, battle rage, savage law, fleshlight steel and fearsome presence. These are explained on page five and then page six, you get a, a kind of... Following on the barbarian feel, you've got some throwdown optional combat rules for heroes. You're basically calling out your enemy to get a... Uh, so you can test 
on relevant abilities to get yourself a little bit of an edge against one of your foes. Just a way to add a little bit of spice and sparkle, a bit of flash and panache, or just plainly hurling insults at your arch rival. So a bit of fun there, a little bit of spice for your combat. We follow the barbarian with on the turning away, a different way of dealing with the undead. Basically what it says on the tin, it's some house rules that Steve's come up with as an alternative for dealing with undead. And that leads us into the probably what you could consider the main bulk of the zine and that is the details of the Purple Mushroom Inn, a science fantasy adventure site for low to mid level characters. Hamata Diagent, the shroom's proprietor, has positioned his inn at the end of a long golden brick path that winds its way through the bizarre and creature infested fungoid forest. It's a couple of days' travel from the city state of Kref, which is detailed further in issue two. Now, Hamata is not a man to be messed with. He's described as fashionable and handsome, a man of many talents, but with a sinister past. He seems to be everywhere at once. Now, moving on, we get into rumours and adventure seeds. You've got a D10 rumour and adventure seed table. Let's have a quick look. Oh, number nine. Hamata has an airship hidden in an underground hangar beneath the inn? Surely not. Then there's menu and rooms. This is a list of kind of quirky drinks and food and a, a, a breakdown of the prices for rooms. You can get yourself various intoxicants all listed out with their relevant prices. Then there's a page explaining and describing the staff then we have uh, the profile and stats for Hamata the owner uh, a half ogre guard then some discussion which I quite enjoyed something you don't always get to see much is quite detailed rules well not detailed but well well explained security and the house rules of the inn such as magic and psionics being forbidden under no circumstances may anyone use magic or psionics in this establishment any patron or guest court is immediately banished by lethal force if necessary Hamata knows he cannot control what guests do in the privacy of their rooms, but if he discovers magic or psionics have been used, he makes sure these guests vacate the premises one way or another. Page 14 details the floor plans of the main areas of the inn, and then pages 15 to 19 give the written explanations of what's going on in the various rooms associated with these plans i'm going to skip pages 20 to 23 to retain some of the mystique of the inn but i would like to say that throughout the descriptions of the areas on the map any stats required are included with their relevant 
description and it's kept brief and to the point. Pages 24 and 25 detail a place called Peshar's Bandit Lair. It's a double page spread. You've got a small but nicely drawn map. You've got a couple of NPCs and the stats for their ne'er-do-well guards and bandits. An explanation of what's going on and a key telling you what's what on the map. I like this very much. It's small, to the point, but I reckon you've got a, a good session's worth of play. Obviously, dependent on your group, length of session, etc. But, yeah, looks a lot of fun. Closing out issue one, we have ten pages, four of which form a mega dungeon map. It's a black and white map, the style of which is consistent with the rest of the maps in this issue. And there must be, wow, maybe 120 rooms in total spread across the four pages. That's not been counted, but just looking at each page, that's what I'd estimate it at. So a fairly sprawling mega dungeon. Of the last 10 pages, six are tables. Page 26, we've got a die drop table for generating chaos mutants. And then we've got five pages of what is called random dungeon stuff. The referee or GM rolls a D6 on a one to three. Yes, random stuff happens. And on a four to six, no, nothing happens. So you roll this whenever you think there might be random stuff. It could be once a turn, once an hour, once a minute. When the players annoy you, the frequency doesn't matter. Once you've determined the presence or not of stuff, you roll again to determine the random stuff type. This is a D20 table and it will refer you then to a range of subtables. They could be as follows. Obstacle, lost loot, a mystery, discarded item, one, monster encounter, discarded item, two, trap or trick, or weird stuff. The uh, Each of these categories has got its own table, and there really is all sorts there. The obstacles is a D20, loot D20, mystery D20, um, as is discarded item table one. Discarded item table two, however, you can bust out your D30 and then trap or trick and weird stuff are D12 tables. The trap or trick and weird stuff tables are split into kind of paragraphs on the table with each entry consisting of a, a couple of free sentences, something like that. So, yeah, some nifty tables. Let's have a look what we got on here. Weird stuff. Um, guess who's coming to dinner? Room contains a fancy dining table set for the same number of guests as there are party members. On a four, honey, I shrunk the PCs. There's one for froth. 
Upon entering this room, the party members are instantly and unknowingly transformed into two-inch tall versions of themselves. Exploring the room, they encounter seemingly huge plants, terrain and creatures. They might eventually find a clue to their current state, such as a huge book or dagger. When they leave the room, they immediately return to their normal size. Trap or tricks. On a six, on a table rests a small locked iron box. In the box, a scroll that when read, ha ha ha, you'll have to find, you'll have to get a copy to find out what happens. Anyway, that's that. I'm very good too. Just to summarise issue one then, you have got more than enough content in there for hours of play. The Purple Mushroom Inn as a location could be a base for a whole campaign, as in fact it was for Steve. Then you've got at the end the big map, the four pages of maps combined with the random dungeon stuff tables. You could play session after session, throwing in a few monsters from your manual of choice, rolling on the random stuff tables, obviously depending on how comfortable you are improvising. But, you know, half hour before the session, you could make a few rolls, drum something up, and you're good to, good to go. Nice and simple, lots of fun. Maybe a little beer and pretzels or a little bit light-hearted for some. But, man, you know, not every session wants to be Lord of the Rings. For issue two of the Dice Roll Zine, we keep with a similar format, uh, black, white and grayscale illustrations. We've got a change to the binding. This one is saddle stapled. In comparison to issue one, I'd say there's a little bit less line art, but that is replaced with pretty much random tables by the looks of things. This one is chock full of random tables. And uh, the artists credited with the artwork are Michael Clark, Stephen A. Cook, Dennis McCarthy, Del Tegler and William McCosland. Kicking it off then, we've got three pages related to fungi, plants and freaky stuff. The first table, you roll your D4, D6, D8, couple of D10s and a D12 as a big old handful. Your D4 determines then what subtable you roll on. That's your effects and you've got tables A to D dealing with various effects. Following that, we have, similar to issue one, a new class. This one started out for swords and wizardry, and it is the Sorcerer. And it describes the Sorcerer as follows. An adventurer with inborn arcane gifts, the Sorcerer delves into forbidden powers and Stygian secrets to thwart his foes. He casts spells gleaned from eldritch insights and otherworldly patrons. A sorcerer is not necessarily evil at heart, and those who follow him may love him deeply. 
However, fearful whispers and closed doors precede the wielder of black magic wherever his dark secrets are exposed. Truthful or not, foul names like witch, conjurer, necromancer, diabolist and warlock often enshroud him. As you might imagine, the sorcerer comes with some flavourful rules concerning his abilities. There's an explanation of black magic, how he learns his spells and the relevance of spell books and his relationship with scrolls. The fact the sorcerer doesn't need to prepare spells, his black magic is a bit more flexible. There's a paragraph about an eldritch patron and the eldritch blast, which is a shimmering ball of pure eldritch energy. It explains how that works. There's some rules tying the sorcerer's charisma into the use of eldritch blasts, which is something I thought was a bit different. And yeah, I was uh, quite into that. Then it talks about um, something called pack spells, a bit about Eldritch Law, and then closing out this two pages on abilities is a, a black magic miscast table. Who doesn't like a miscast table? Following on, the theme of magic we get into arcane study, and this is an optional class ability for the more mundane magic user. Arcane study is basically a means for a magic user to learn important facts about a magic item that they study. It's a 2d6 roll modified by the magic user's intelligence and results can vary from catastrophic failure to phenomenal success uh, phenomenal success is described as complete success plus the magic user knows the exact number of charges or uses if any the item has and can speak with expert authority on the item to other magic users also, the magic user gains a plus one bonus on her next arcane study check. So that gives you some idea of um, what we're talking about here with this arcane study. Now we're getting into the meat of the zine, the section that details the city-state of Kref. Just before that, though, there is a D100 character career table, and it's, it's a flavourful list of some of the usual suspects and characters that you might find occupying the city. The city-state of Kref, jewel of civilization, city of divine light, and home of the god-emperor. You leap from the spice merchant's carriage and stand before the grand imperial gate of the city-state of Kref. You've anticipated this moment for a decade, Two four-storey towers flank a menacing iron gate that resembles a screaming demonic face, exactly like your father told you. The towers and gatehouse bristle with guards displaying stun bows and other hidden but clearly ready defences. Past the gate, a gargantuan causeway overflows with the caravan of beasts, merchants and slaves you've travelled with. 
and ascends 50 feet to wide open grounds. All I can say here is, wow, Steve has really packed the goodness in. We've got a page of overview, a brief history of the city-state that takes up two-thirds of a page. It's done in a kind of a table form. Just enough information there with a sort of a, a set a sentence, maybe two, for each kind of different thing that's going on then we get into city-state law trials with crime and punishment it's a it's uh interesting i've not really seen this before it's it's a kind of um is made a mechanism for dealing with a trial that leads to conviction possibly and a sentence and it's it's using the abilities of the characters mostly like intelligence and charisma and yeah I, i'm not going to explain it all now but it's an interesting addition for something like this then there's a page of factions talks a little bit about currencies state services and housing it gives you an idea of costs for rooms uh, with rental or purchase costs it starts off at room moves up to as large as a large villa and to purchase that would be 200,000 gp we have exotic items weapons and vehicles these are the sort of um, flavorful things that you find in this fantasy sci-fi type of city you know we're talking about your sail barges and skiffs spell binding collars null rods glow orbs stun bows and stun halberds seeing a little bit of uh, some return of the jedi influences there i suspect as well as many of the other um, influences that steve listed earlier or stated earlier then we've got a, a whole page of random rumors 20 of those each being a sentence or two long then we get into da adventure seeds these are a little bit longer they're like a paragraph each and yeah very evocative stuff number five as a show of power the wealthiest nobles of the city state of Kref commissioned great magic carriages created by technomancers the more ostentatious the better the carriages transform into wood or iron or whatever golems and battle each other in the Colosseum, an annual spectacle called the Melee Magica. This year, one of the golems goes on a rampage. There you go. Carriages that transform into golems and fight each other. The next section of the zine deals more with specific districts within Kref, and page 22 is a map showing the layout of the different districts along with places of interest. Looking at the district map, we see there are nine districts. 
each district has a set of notable locales, a random encounter table and a random location table. And I love these random encounter tables. Quite a few of them, the entries when you roll have got an asterisk beside them. They refer you to a subtable. Let me read you the beggar. So you turn to the beggar, you roll your D6. You could have a drifter, a homeless person, insane, a medicant, skid row bum or a street kid. And it says beneath the table, there is a three in six chance a beggar is drunk or high on drugs. If a beggar is not intoxicated, there is a one in six chance he is a paid lookout or decoy for a pickpocket, thief or thugs. Beggars often spread diseases such as mudgut, spore lung and yellow pox. A one in six chance beggar is infected. 5% chance to infect a PC interacting with them, save to avoid. I think that's really clever. It's got a load of flavour in there and most of these entries or uh, subtables, I should say, have got a similar amount of flavour or little notes or even further tables within the subtable. So it's a really rich selection of uh, encounters, ne'er-do-wells and NPCs that you can run into. The last table is a something strange table and it deals with your strange encounters. There are uh, 2d20, it's a 2d20 table and you know they're just awesome. Uh, a crazed vagrant offers to test, taste, test any adventurer's potion for 20 GP. A silk pouch hops across the street. Inside is an obsidian frog idol. I mean, just crazy stuff. Loads of flavour. And then finally, you've got the city-state sample NPC and new monster stats. The last six pages are really dealing with swag, magic items, spells and the final two pages my favorite in this section are random tables for dealing with jewelry the subheading is need random jewelry roll all the dice and it's the typical what we've come to see kind of thoroughness with kind of imaginative ideas and and kind of simple mechanics worked into the table i really like it uh, if you pick it up i hope you do too that's about it finally it's been a bit of a long one let's go to the outro all that it remains for me to do is say a few thanks so once again a big thanks to steve c of hogtown games Thanks to my patrons over at Spike Pit Patreon. And last but not least, thanks to you, the listener, taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. Take care, and I'll catch you later. Oh, and I almost forgot. Big thanks to Logan Howard for the crazy Spike Pit theme that we heard at the start. Take care.